Thanks for listening to the Granary Church Podcast. For more information, head to granary.org.au or follow us on social media at The Granary Church. Right, well, thank you. It's wonderful to be with you guys this afternoon. As Hannah already alluded to, when uh, Sue asked me to speak on the topic of silence and solitude, I showed Britt the text and she just laughed. And um, our kids were going crazy in the next room. So I thought of a few titles for this sermon. I was going to make it Silence and Solitude. What's that? Or Silence and Solitude. Wouldn't it be nice? And Brittany reminded me of a joke. I think I've had heard a lot of mums share where the only silence and solitude they get each day is when they go to the bathroom. But even in our house where we only have one bathroom, even that's not a guaranteed holy space. So silence and solitude. And, you know, obviously I'm joking, but I think For all of us, it can be difficult to intentionally set aside and habitually practice times of silence and solitude with God, whether it's kids or work or texts or requests from family and friends. We're a society that's wired for constant interaction and oftentimes distraction as a result. But silence and solitude isn't totally absent from my life. In fact, it is something that I try and do on a semi-regular basis, perhaps not for days at a time like some monk in a monastery, as we often imagine when we think of silence and solitude, but rather in my own ways and when I can. For me, silence and solitude looks like going for surfs by myself or long walks on the Nobby's break wall in the evening or an early morning writing in my journal if I'm on the road and in a hotel somewhere and I have that time. And when I practice silence and solitude, I know it works. I know it delivers an incredible range of benefits to my life according to the situations and contexts I find myself in where I'm looking to God for his love and for his help. But even so, when Sue asked me to take on this teaching, I questioned if I could. I didn't consider myself a guru. And sometimes when we think of these things in the church known as or referred to as spiritual disciplines like fasting or prayer or meditating on God's word, it can feel like they need some kind of level five Christian black belt experience to be able to participate in and to crack open to make them of value to us. That's to do it, let alone to teach it. So I was wondering, can I do that? I guess I had in my mind that uber spiritual monk tucked away in the monastery. However, through uh, the last couple of weeks studying and looking at examples of silence and solitude in the Bible, reading various authors about it and considering the impact of what the practice has had, is, has had in my own life, I really realized that if you read the Bible, there's no one formula or set of strict guidelines around what the practice of science and solitude has to look like. There's not even a rule saying you have to do it. Instead, there's just a bunch of examples from the Old Testament to the New Testament of followers of God making intentional time or being called to go away and to be in silence and solitude with him. And you see incredible things happen, people hearing from God, getting new insight, getting rest or restoration and recovery from experiences that they were in. The Bible is just so full of the practical, spiritual, social, emotional benefits of this practice of silence and solitude. So instead of those earlier titles for my sermon, I thought better might be something like silence and solitude, give it a go. Or for the sports-minded, silence and solitude, just do it. So maybe that'll help for it to stick in your mind. So what we're going to do today is I'm going to look at specifically a number of instances where we see and hear about Jesus retreating for times of silence and solitude. And what we're going to see is that he does this for a number of different reasons, a number of different contexts, 
And there's a range of different outcomes to this. And that's the first lesson today, that the reasons for benefits from and outcomes of entering into silence and solitude are multifaceted and numerous. In my studies, I found eight different reasons or benefits or outcomes that Jesus would go into silence and solitude for. And I hope as we explore these, they just serve not as a rule book or an instruction manual, though there'll be some practical tips along the way, but an encouragement to seek times of silence and solitude for yourself in different seasons and situations in your spiritual journey. And these are the eight that I found, that Jesus practices silence and solitude for rest and recovery, respite from the demands and expectations of others, reconnecting with the greatness of God, reorientation with his mission and purpose, refueling in order to continue loving others, wisdom prior to making big decisions, physical separation to de-escalate situations that were heating up, and in response to being commanded by the Holy Spirit. So a lot of benefits to silence and solitude. But before we go any further, I'm just going to pray and I really pray that some of these instructions and examples of Jesus would speak into your life today. So God, we just thank you that you love us and that you delight in us being with you and in spending that time with us, Father God. And so I pray that as we really uh, look to the experiences of where we see your son going to practice silence and solitude, that we would be encouraged, that we would gain insights, that we would gain fresh revelations. And Father God, you know my interpretations of what Jesus were doing will be imperfect, but I know that you can speak uh, through me and in each one of our hearts as we look to your scriptures. So I pray that this is a time of encouragement and learning for all of us. Amen. So one of the first recorded examples we have of Jesus practicing silence and solitude comes in the book of Mark in chapter one. And if you want to open up there, if you've got on your phone, we're going to be staying in that for a while now in this book of Mark chapter one. And it says this from verse 35, it says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Now, the context here is that Jesus has only just begun his ministry in full, where he's now traveling the countryside with his disciples, teaching, healing the sick, casting out uh, demonic spirits. And he's doing this in town squares, synagogues, people's lounge rooms and out on the open road. And things are getting pretty chaotic. Immediately before we read this verse, we read in the preceding verses of Mark chapter 1 from verses 21 to 34 that Jesus had been teaching in a synagogue on Sabbath when a man possessed by an evil spirit started shouting with the voice of demons, basically just making crazy sounds and calling out and saying who Jesus was. And, and Jesus silenced that man and healed him of his possession. And straight after doing that, we read in Mark 1, 28, that at once Jesus' fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. So Jesus is really arriving onto the scene in a big way here and now starting this ministry of signs and wonders that is going to bring a lot of attention and activity. Straight after leaving the synagogue, he goes to the mother-in-law's home of uh, two of his disciples for lunch. And there he finds that their mother-in-law is confined to bed with a fever, but Jesus heals her, lifting her up out of bed, and she happily goes and, and prepares the lunchtime meal. But it doesn't stop there. We read in uh, verses 32 and 33 that that evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. Now, the indication that the town had gathered at sundown is really important here because it was a Sabbath day. The way that the Jewish people practiced and still practice Sabbath is it starts on 6 p.m. Uh, the evening beforehand and runs to 6 p.m. the night after. 
So the fact that it means that they've come at sundown during Sabbath, they're not really meant to travel that far away from their home. They're not meant to work. They're meant to spend time in worship and in rest and in eating together. So this is like Jesus getting to the end of his Sunday, which is typically a bit of a Sabbath day uh, for us in our kind of Western Christian culture. He's had his nice, relaxing time, and he looks out to see a nice Mediterranean sunset, and instead he's greeted with this, literally the whole town at his door. It's that kind of, it, the author is trying to get to us how many people are there waiting for a piece of Jesus. And of course, he obliges, he goes out, ministers to them, uh, ministers with healing and prayer, and this probably takes him deep into the nine. So it's after this, it's after that chaotic Sunday that we get that original verse, one of the first verses recording Jesus going out to practice science and solitude. So rising very early in the morning, while it was dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. You get this sense of Jesus going, that's it, that's enough, I need some time out, I'm going away. I live with my wife who's an introvert, so I know exactly what that experience is like and even sounds like too. <laughs> I've seen it and that's good that she is able to do that. <laughs> so the author is very deliberate in kind of impressing upon us Jesus attempts an effort to get away and make space, stressing how early he gets up, that it's still before dark, that he goes away to a desolate place. So he's put time and effort to remove himself, to go and to pray. Now, we can't be exactly sure what it is Jesus goes away to pray for and what he's looking to receive. But from looking at other stories in the scriptures about science and solitude and reading what happens immediately after this, uh, where Jesus goes on his way and ends up healing a, a leper and then starts another whole crowd off who want him, it doesn't take too much theological gymnastics to see that Jesus is separating himself from the crowd and his disciples for a few reasons. And I think um, it kind of covers off me the first five reasons in, in the list of things that I found in my studies. And we're going to look at those a bit further now. So first of all is rest and recovery. So to the extent that getting away with God in silence and solitude is about rest, King David writes poetically about his experiences with God in Psalm 23. And you'll know this verse, most of you. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. Now, as daggy as it might seem, David is literally trying to paint for us the kind of idyllic scene that you might see on this painting in your Christian auntie's house. You know, he's literally trying to paint for us in our mind a mental image of a shepherd leading his sheep beside still waters, lying down in the grass, taking in the sun. It's beautiful. Uh, it's beautiful that the God of the universe wants your experience of him to be like this. This is rest at its purest, where we are simply present in God's abounding love for us and able to receive it as simply as a sheep being led to a grassy meadow. This would be like being invited uh, up to your favourite headland in Newcastle Beach and you arrive there and there's a picnic blanket laid out, maybe some warm bread from Baked Up Rising, nice coffee from your favourite coffee shop and just lying and receiving it. That, that is the extent of it. And sometimes silence and solitude is just about abiding in God's love for you and taking in that rest. Sound good? Good reason. The second reason uh, we see Jesus going into silence and solitude from this passage is respite from the demands and expectations of others. So continuing this theme of rest and restoration, what science and solitude also offers is the opportunity to be freed from the demands of others in order to reconnect more fully with God and who he says we are. 
If David's psalm conjures images of simply lying and receiving God's love, the words I'm about to read are from Richard Foster, a well-known author on the spiritual disciplines, speak beautifully to how silence and solitude also has the power to reconnect us with our true selves and to God by being disconnected from others. So I'm going to read this from Richard Foster, and you might like to as well. In our day, God is using the spiritual discipline of solitude as the great liberator. Solitude liberates us from all the inane chatter that is so characteristic of modern life. It liberates us from the ever-present demands that are put on us. In solitude, we are set free from the many false selves we have built up in order to cope with the expectations others place upon us and we place upon ourselves. Solitude empowers us to walk away from all human pretense and manipulation. In addition, God uses our experience of solitude to enable us to become more truly who we are. We come to see things in light of eternity and as a result, successes and failures no longer impress or oppress us, nor do the expectations others place on us around such things. So what are these false selves? Well, they're the layers of learned behaviours and attitudes that we take on and, and, and put on, take off and put on each day as we go out into the world that we know on closer inspection don't really feel like a comfortable fit. Some of us walk out the door looking to project more pride or confidence or charm than is really required from us in order to try and woo and influence people. Others walk out the door head held so low they're literally trying to make themselves smaller and less visible to be able to skirt around the edges and not attract too much attention or to be called to interact with others. For others still, there's anger and hurt that permeates our daily interactions with others due to often unresolved trauma or frustration or grief. And that can make us more defensive or reactive than we need to be, but it's a learned response. So to reconnect with our true selves in silence and solitude is about remembering who the one we are going to be with says we truly are. Because in practicing silence and solitude, we don't merely want to go off to be alone with our own thoughts and opinions of ourselves, but to be with God who made us and who desires freedom for us. It reminds me of the immovable truth that we find in John chapter 8, verse 36, that says, so if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. And that's a good verse to take with you into your time of silence and solitude so that if you start to feel like the voices that you're hearing in that silence aren't ones of freedom, you know that they are not of God and that that freedom is promised to you. So moving along, another thing we see here is reconnection with the greatness of God. And Richard Foster continues in that same reflection to talk about this. Experiences of solitude root us in a deep abiding hope, a hope that sees everything in light of God's overriding governance for good. In solitude, we are so bathed in God's greatness and goodness that we come to see the immense value of our own soul. The result is that we become increasingly freed from our frantic human strivings and are ready to go back and face the world. And one of the reasons I love going surfing so much for my times of silence and solitude is that I am quite literally for that period of time, I feel disconnected. I'm literally out in the water and unreachable from other people, from those expectations. It's a, it's a place of freedom. And not only is it a space of disconnection, it's also a space of being immersed in God's creation. And there's no surprise that many of the Bible's recorded stories of silence and solitude happen away in wilderness, in desolate places, outside. Because it's there that we get that perspective that comes from being God's creation as to how big and incredible he is and everything that he has made and how small we are. And it's how small we are in a positive way that the God who is so big and created everything that you see, the beauty that's around you, cares intimately for you and wants to spend that time with you. 
Moving along, and, you know, we see this in so many verses there in Psalm 19, verse 1, and also in Job as well that Asher spoke about a couple of weeks ago too. So I won't read through those now with you. So another reason, uh, as we're going to look at now, that as well as providing rest and space from others uh, and the chance to reconnect with our true selves and who God says we are, silence and solitude also really helps to reorientate ourselves with God's mission for our life and for our purpose. So when Jesus goes off on that early morning walk to get some silence and solitude, it's come off the back of that massive night of intense ministry. And at this point in the morning where the sun is up, the disciples start to get a bit worried and a bit frantic and they go out looking for him. And it's not because they're concerned about Jesus' safety. They know that he knows his way around there. He grew up around that area. They're not worried that he's been taken by one of the Judah lions on his morning stroll or forgotten to take his keep cup with him. But they're anxious. And we know this because when they finally find him, they yell at him, everyone is looking for you. You can hear the stress and anxiety in their voice. It's not, are you okay? It's everyone is looking for you. Really what they're saying is, Jesus, all those people that you spoke to last night and ministered, they've gone and told their friends. Now there's a whole bunch of them are back here. You've got to come back. You've got to help them. There's work to be done. What are you doing out here taking a stroll in the countryside? Everyone is looking for you. You know, can you relate to the disciples here? I can. Like there's so many times where I've told myself I'm too busy to stop to have that time with God in prayer. No, what's needed is action and work and to get through some of these things on my to-do list and then I can take some time aside to rest. Because if I try and take time aside to rest now, all I'll be doing is thinking about all those things that I have to do. So I should do some of them and then I'll go and take time to rest. But as we know, your life only gets busier from child to becoming older. The to-do list never ends. Martin Luther's prayer life was legendary and one time upon being asked by a friend what his plans were for the following day, he replied with this, work, work, work from early until late. In fact, I have so much work to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. And really, and it was confirmed that he would spend this many hours in prayer each morning. And you, you understand immediately what the point is that he's trying to make. His work is so crucial. It's so intense. There's so much writing on it. He needs to spend additional time with God in prayer to get clarity and resolution on what to do. And you see, and it's no surprise that when the disciples finally find Jesus, he doesn't give an answer for this or try and justify why he was away or or feel the need to explain to himself. He simply says to them, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there for that is why I came out. He is resolute in his mission and his calling. Instead of going back to where people are wanting him and ready for him and waiting for him, he goes forward in his mission because he's had that time with God to reorientate himself around what matters. And I've tried to make it a practice the start of my day and even at different times of the day to just ask, God, what do you want me to be focusing on next? Of course, I've got my to-do list and my project lists and I know the many demands that are in my inbox, but giving God the opportunity to reorientate our priorities so that we are following him, it's incredibly freeing. Next, we see this sense that in silence and solitude, we can also be refueled in order to continue loving others. And this one is critical. Thomas Merton said of silence and solitude, it is in deep solitude that I find the gentleness with which I can truly love others. And this one is clear and you all know it. If your tank is empty, it's very hard to fill up into others' tanks. And what's a great way to fill up your own tank? To get away with God. So if you find yourself getting frustrated, if you find yourself being overreactive, you know, the Bible says that we are to take the stick out of our own eye. So we are not meant to be being judgmental. It goes even further. It says we're meant to be loving our enemies and you will never get to that state of being able to 
not just love people you're meant to love or people who frustrate you that you're prone to judging, but your enemies unless we're spending time in silence and solitude, thinking on God, who he is, what he's done for us. That is the deep wellspring of love that we need to love like he wants us to. So we've covered off on the benefits of silence and solitude from points one to four in our list. And we're going to continue on the road with Jesus, this time in Luke chapter six, to explore some of the next points uh, about what it is that silence and solitude can bring us. And one thing that we see in Luke chapter six, verses 12 to 14, is how Jesus uses silence and solitude for wisdom prior to making big decisions. It says here, In these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when the day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve whom he named apostles. And you can read their names there. So Jesus has built with him a gathering of followers that he's investing into, and these are his disciples, and they are his friends as well, and he travels around the countryside, and now he goes to anoint the apostles who will become his primary original messengers for the gospel in in the years to come and through the early church. And rather, and, and you could imagine that Jesus could just know these things and just pick them out, you, 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 like off you go. But what does he do? It reads, and there's it's incredible intentionality, the fact that this is in the Bible, that it tells us he went out to the mountain to pray and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12. You can see this practice of going away to get wisdom before big decisions and big moments. And you'll also probably start to think of other moments in Jesus' ministry, like the night before he was arrested where he goes away to pray. He spends time in silence and solitude to prepare to prepare. And uh, I have experienced this in my own life. I was working at Compassion for a number of years as the marketing manager there. And I was called quite out of the blue by my now boss to come and work at Mike Australia doing this government advocacy work that we do. And I was on a full-time role at Compassion, good job security, good pay. I liked the role. I liked the organization. I liked the people we were with. I could sense there was more things that I could do and be helpful with there. But this call had come through. And there was a lot of risks. Brittany was pregnant with, um, which baby? Harmony? <laughs> a baby <laughs> with Harmony. I know their names. I was just trying to figure out where it came in the order. Um, pregnant with Harmony. And so I would be leaving Compassion, the full-time stable job for Micah, which is like they've got one year of income. It'd be your job to see if you can rebuild this organization that had gone a bit flat. And if you can, you can get paid the next year as well. So there's a lot of decisions. And I finally decided one afternoon living in New Lambton Heights, I'm going to go for a walk around the block. And by the time I get back from my walk, I'm going to have made up my mind. Now, this could seem like Russian roulette with God and a bit strange, but I'd done the kind of right steps first. I'd talked about it with Brit. I'd talked about it with Sue and Graham. I'd been praying about it. So this came at the end of a more mature process than spinning the dice with God on a walk around the block. But I had a sense that in that silence, in that solitude, I would hear what I needed to hear. And I did. And I heard, go take this role. And from that point on, that was the decision made. We set our course on that. And it was great. And the reason that it was so important to have that silence and solitude, to have that decision confirmed, is because from that point on, every time that I had a doubt or is this going to work out with Micah or are we going to make it through the next year or was this the right choice, immediately I was like, no, I know it was because... I had that time of silence and solitude. I sought God's voice and I heard and now I'm going. And that's incredibly helpful uh, in making those big decisions. In John uh, chapter 6, verse 15, after having fed the 5,000 and performed a range of other mir- uh, miracles, we read about another time and situation where Jesus seeks to be alone. 
It says this, Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. So he actually takes upon himself to go out to be in silence and in solitude um, so that others couldn't make him their king. Now, um, many of you probably aren't being chased around to be made the next king or prime minister of Australia, but I think we can actually relate to this experience of when it is good to step away when things are getting escalating or become a bit too overexcited or chaotic. And I can think of many experiences in my own life, particularly when it comes to, you know, family conversations with my wife, where stepping away for science and solitude is a very wise decision. And, you know, oftentimes in that science and solitude, do you know what I realise? The mistakes that I made in aggravating that situation. And I find and see where I went wrong and I'm much better positioned to come back and to apologise. And I might be asked to take a bit more science and solitude before that happens, but it's helpful. It's practical. Um, so it's another good reason to practice science and solitude and, and not exactly what Jesus is doing, but we see him stepping away for things to de-escalate sometimes. And uh, just another one and a final one, we also see, of course, Jesus going out to be um, in solitude, more than science, in solitude out in the desert in response to being commanded by the Holy Spirit. And this is um, in Mark chapter 1, verses 12 to 13. It's recorded other places in the Gospels. At once the Spirit sent Jesus out into the desert. He was there for 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was in the wild with animals and the angels attended to him. So the reason for including this final example, even though it's quite different to the others which are more about rest and restoration and lying on the picnic blanket on the headland with Jesus, is that sometimes, and there are examples of this throughout the Bible and throughout uh, humankind's experience where people do feel a call to the wild to be challenged and to be refined and often to have things stripped off and stripped away from them. I don't think, I think it'd be rare to have many people called for 40 days of silent prayer and fasting out in the desert, but very often people are called to get away. And I think it is worth considering because it's in God's word that we may also be called away by the Holy Spirit for a time of being challenged and refined. Now, God won't tempt us. It says in James 1.13 that temptation does not come from God and is not saying that he seeks to do to us, but rather we do ourselves. So he won't lead you away for temptation, but he may lead you away for a time of being challenged and refined. And sometimes we should hear those things. It might be going away to think about a destructive behavior or a destructive attitude or something that needs change or working on. Sometimes those are really well done when they're facilitated at proper spiritual retreat centers or addiction recovery centers. But also sometimes we might be being called to go away in silence and solitude with God and he wants to do that work in our heart too. So silence and solitude, my encouragement at the start was give it a go, to not see it as a discipline in a negative sense, but to see it throughout the Bible practiced uh, with many benefits and many outcomes for different circumstances and situations that we will face in our life today. So I'm going to pray and uh, then Ben's going to come up. We're going to enjoy some time worshipping together. God, we thank you that um, you love us and that your Bible is just full of so many things, so many teachings and, and instructions and examples for us to gain wisdom into our lives today. Lord, it says your word is living and active and we see that in the fact that it is not an old and ancient word that is just uh, put away on the bookshelf but has so much applicability to our lives today. And Father God, I just pray that for each one of us, God, that you would um, encourage us to this practice of silence and solitude, maybe for the first time, 
maybe after not having done it for a long time or maybe it's just that encouragement to keep going with saying that we have made more of a habit in our lives. And Lord, I, I pray for those who are here listening today, Lord, who worry or are dubious or doubtful about what they'll hear, what they'll experience in that time of silence and solitude, who wonder who the God is that they are meant to be talking to, who made the creation they can see around them, and is that the God of the Bible, and, and how does this all fit together? And God, I pray now, Father God, and we know, God, in your kindness that you want to reveal to them as you want to reveal to all of us, Lord, that you are a God who loves us, who cares for us, who knows us by name, who made a way for us to be reconciled back to you after breaking relationship with you, God, through our own actions and our own faults and sins, that rather than wanting to condemn us or for us to feel like we live in that oppressed condemnation, Father God, that we are free to be through your son, through his death and resurrection. We are free to be with you. And when we go in silence and solitude, it is under a loving God who we sit, under a loving God who has an incredible plan for our life. And I pray that um, in those moments, people who are experiencing that feel filled, filled with your Holy Spirit, Lord, and encouraged to keep walking with you. So, Father God, if, if there are people feeling like that or who feel that may be their situation here today, God, you know them and you want to encourage them. So we just thank you for that. We thank you for our time here today. I pray this word just helps all of us to move forward. Amen.